Now then, who's read a good book recently? Apart from the Bible. A good novel? Yep. Oh. Right. oh, excellent. Excellent, okay. That's a lovely book. What about novel books? I'm more thinking of that, but that's, that's great. Any good books? Well, surely they're reading five heads, surely. <laughs> John Buchan? Oh, well. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Okay, good. Right, okay. I'm sure we all know good books, and when we were younger we read lots of them. Now we can't see quite so well. We've got so much to do. Don't write, read so many. But there's one good thing about a good book, is the beginning. Isn't it great? You have to have a good start to a book, don't you? To get you into it, to get you going, get you understand the basics of it, but enjoy the beginning... And the sign of a good book, of course, is a good middle in the, in the middle bit, you know, the, the main content. But then it's the end, isn't it? It's the end. And Agatha Christie end, the twist, or whatever it is, the, the end bit. And when it's a really good book, the f- beginning ties in with the end beautifully. You know, the loose ends are tied together, so you've got the beginning and the end. The beginning's exciting, the end's exciting. And that's, you know, part of the sign of a good book. And I tell you, the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians, my goodness me, that's a good book, good letter, because it really does tie the beginning to the end. The beginning to the end. Now the end of Colossians doesn't end with the bit that I believe Laurie's going to be talking to you about next week or whenever it is which is the bit about exaltation to the various fellow believers. Because, you see, Colossians was written by Paul. Paul had never been to Colossae. He'd never seen them. It wasn't one of his churches. It's one of his fellow apostles' churches, but he was encouraging them. So he didn't know them. So that very last bit is just to say, well, look, here I am, let's go, let's go and meet up uh, and sort out. So the true end, the, the end of instruction is what Wynne just read to us. So what's the first bit? So I was just going to read the first bit to you. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Just to tie this, I'll paraphrase what Wynne had read to you. So the scripture, Colossians 4, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, 
Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. So those are the two parts. Chapter 1, part of cha- beginning of chapter 1, and towards the end of chapter 4. So how do these two relate? What is the connection? Well, first of all, about thanking. Paul said that he thanked the Lord for the Colossians, for what they were doing. He prayed and he thanked the Lord for them. And so what did he ask the Colossians to do? To pray and thank the Lord for what the Lord had done for them. Thank from him, thank by them. Thank the Lord, of course. It also starts with being watchful. Paul had been watching them, keeping an eye on them. He'd never been there, but through all the reports from all the fellow followers and apostles... He was watching them from a distance. He was keeping an eye on them. And indeed intended to come and visit them at some point. So what did he say at the end in chapter 4? He asked them to keep a watchful eye out too. You see, Paul wasn't just watching them in terms of, well, what's the report and how are they getting on? It was more he was praying for them and spiritually watching for them, seeing what they needed to know and learn and understand, hence the rest of the letter. And so he was encouraging them, this is a letter of encouragement, to be watchful themselves. So when they prayed, as it says, whilst they are praying, be watchful. In other words, listen to the Lord. We've got to remember, this was in difficult times. This was a brand new church. It was probably the same size as this church in terms of numbers. And it would have been in someone's house. And it's at a time when there was persecution starting. Right, written about 60 AD. Things were getting tough for Christians. Be watchful. The Lord would be watching them. Be watchful and hear from the Lord. So that's the second tie-up. And then there's something else. If you remember, Paul was said he prayed for the Colossians. He prayed for them. So by praying for the Colossians, what he's doing is what is called interceding for them. He was praying, saying, Lord, protect the Colossians, help the Colossians, whatever he asked, he was interceding as a priest intercedes. We know, do we not, that all Christians are priests great high priest is Jesus 
We are priests, by the way, with a little p. We don't get paid. All right? We're priests. And our role is to intercede for ourselves, each other, but particularly the wide world. And so what did he ask the Colossians to do in chapter 4? To intercede for him back. To pray for him. To pray for what he was doing. Because when he was writing it, where was he? He was in prison. Pray for him. Intercede on his behalf. He felt that they were good enough, obviously they were good enough because they were Christians, to pray for him, to intercede for him. But not just him. The mission, the wider church, the other apostles, the other followers, they had a job to do. Just as he had interceded, they should intercede. And then the fourth point, don't worry, there's only four, is the gospel. They had received the gospel. Now, you know what the gospel means. The good news. Simple as that. Gospel, good news. The good news of the salvation through Christ. He died and was resurrected. The good news that um, all thing is, everything is catered for. Jesus died. He overcame the world. And their job was to get on and spread that good news. Everyone, each and sing, every single day, what's called the seventh day, is the equal day that anyone can be saved. Any person can be saved on any day. Any person can give their life to Christ. And that is the gospel. That is the good news. To share with the community. And so in chapter 4, he says, we'll go and spread the good news. You have, he said, Truly understood God's grace, says there in chapter 1. Truly understood God's grace. So go out and spread the good news. Go and do it. And because you truly understood, you actually are wise. He uses the word wise. Be wise. Be careful. Do it with care and gentleness. Remember... The devil's out there and he could trick things up. He could get you into trouble for spreading this good news. It was dangerous in those times. We can go out and spread the good news and it's not too likely that we'll get arrested. And you in a few years' time might be different. But at the moment, it's okay. <laughs> Mind you, if we're out in um, the Middle East somewhere, very different story. In fact, this church is in a situation very similar to the Middle East. It will be suffering. It will be under an element of persecution. And yet it's only just growing. So the point is to be wise and to feed the conversation with salt. Or you make it tasty to those that are receiving that good news. But you've learned. You know what it means, the gospel. So the point is this. What has been fed in to the Colossians has got to go out from the Colossians. They don't just store all this up. 
they have got to go out. So what comes in, they have received, goes out. Because they have truly understood what it is all about. Truly understood God's grace. They know they have God's grace and through God's grace they can then send out. And when Paul is only one voice telling them what to do, of course when it goes out from Colossae it's loads of voices. It's multiplied. That's why this letter is so important, this is so good and so wonderful. So the message is clear. Be brave, be strong, go out, share the gospel, pray, listen to the law for problems, whatever the issues are, keep a watchful eye, be thankful where you are in the state. You are saved, he's saying, you are saved. Understand that, go and save. All those things were absolutely sewn in at the beginning and told what to do at the end. And I could finish there, but unfortunately for you, I'm not. I'm just going to add something else. Very, very, very important. Because he's actually saying something even more profound than that. Far more profound than that, in actual fact. You see, he doesn't just want them to go out as an obligation in their own strength, doing all this. But that they understand what's called the measure of hope, which is stored up for them in heaven. Hope, which is stored up for them in heaven. Where are we going with this? They truly understood this. So let's try and truly understand that. So I'm just going to go back to the bit of the scripture, okay, which is chapter 1, verse 5. I read it to you, and I'm going to read just that little bit again. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Faith and love that spring up from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Now, what does that mean? Paul mentions faith, hope, and love six times to different churches. Faith, hope, and love. The book of Hebrews mentions faith, hope, and love together twice. And Peter mentions in his letters about faith, hope, and love together twice as well. Tends to suggest to me this is a rather important thing to understand. Faith, hope, and love together. What does it mean? What does it mean by faith and hope, sorry, faith and love springing from hope and something stored in heaven. What are we talking about here? So what we'll, first of all, we've got to ask the question, well, what is faith? Oh my gosh, we're getting right back to basics here. What is faith? What is faith? I know what faith is. 
Um, I brought my Bible to prove I got a Bible. There we go. I have absolute faith, and I am sure you have absolute faith in what it says in the Scriptures. The Scriptures are true. They're solid. They're profound. They're influential. They actually have a life in them. We have faith. Do we not in the Bible? We have faith in the fact that Jesus died. We just celebrated Easter a little while ago and that he was resurrected. We have faith in that, do we not? We have faith that if we believe in Christ, we are saved and we have our ticket, as it were, to heaven. We have faith that um, we are important in Christ and he loves every single one of us. Do we not? He is our Father, after all. We have so much faith, all of us. We know what faith is. I know what faith is. You know what faith is. Faith is absolutely solid when we know, and we grow in faith, do we not? When I first became a Christian, yes, I had faith. I I had an understanding, but gosh, I know an awful lot now uh, than I did then, and I've improved in my faith. And I think we've all been on those journeys, have we not? I'm not alone, surely. Please tell me I'm not alone. Okay. Faith. That's what faith is. Faith is actually what you learnt in the past and you hold on to that. And faith is now. Right now. I have got faith right now. A past and present faith. So what's love? Well, we all know what love is. Do we not? And we know that the uh, Hebrews uh, wrote those different levels of love, different types of love. As we know, we've only got one word because we're English. And we don't talk about love very much, so we just use one word, very short word, love. And, uh, but love is fantastic. And the highest of all those loves is agape love, as you know, I'm sure, which is where you love someone so much that you're willing to give your life for them. Jesus actually did that one better because he loved people who hated him so much that he gave his life for them. So love is love. And the same thing. My love for God when I, and Jesus, when I first started, yes, I, I had a respect and a love and I, when, I, when I became a Christian and I understood that, but my love for him now is much greater than it was then. It grows, doesn't it? As your children grow, you love them when they're a baby, and you love them, and you, you know, I love them, oh yes, I do. You go through all that, and you love them. Of course you do, and the love grows. And then the grandchildren come, and there's trouble again. (laughs) All happens, that's love. So what's hope? Because there's three of them. Hope. And it's very confusing, people, uh, the difference between hope and faith. Hope is the future. Hope is your steadfast assurance from God that you have a hope in him, that you have hope for the future, that you will be safe, you will go to heaven. Hasn't happened yet, has it? No one here has been to heaven, have they? Well, I never know, you never know, so I'll pop a hand up. But the point is, you have hope the fact that you're going to go to heaven. That's great. And as far as we're concerned, that's absolutely assured. We're going to heaven because we have Christ in us, we have the Holy Spirit inside us, we are 
new creations, we're born again, we're, we're imperishable seed, as it's called. We will never die. Although our bodies will die, like old tents wrapped up. Okay? But there's something else in hope. You see, hope is personal to us. I have faith that the Bible's true and everything out there is true and everything else. But hope is the personal link with you and God. Bear with me. Hope is that my salvation, I know you, sir, will go to heaven in my faith. It's in my hope that I will go to heaven. Okay? I hope that I will. But it's not only that. I hope that I have a good relationship with Jesus now. My hope is that I can continue and be good with Jesus. I can serve him. I have a role in this kingdom to come. That now I have a role. My hope is that I have a purpose. I can do something for him. Can I do something for Jesus? That's my hope. Am I effective in Jesus? That's my hope, that I'm doing the right thing. Am I? Or should I be down on the beach right now? My hope is also, am I being of good service to God? And I'm going to give you one very simple example of this. Because without hope, you are neutralised. You can't do anything for God. And I'll give you an example. There was a man who said to Jesus, if you're taken to be executed, I will go with you. I will not let you down. If the soldiers come for you, come into this garden of Gethsemane, I'm going with you and I will protect you and I'll do whatever. And that man <coughs> chopped actually an ear of a soldier off, if you remember, and he, Jesus put the ear back on. But then after that, they marched Jesus off and this man followed them. And he came into a courtyard, did he not? Jesus was over there, the man was over there, uh, a servant girl, I think it was, said, oh, don't I know you? Aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And he said, don't be silly, woman. No, no, I didn't. I didn't follow them. I'm nothing to do with them. And as we know the story, this man, Peter, denied Christ three times, as Jesus had told him he would do. And then what happened? The cock crowed, just as Jesus said it would happen. And what did Peter do at that moment? He wept. Absolutely wept. He was distraught. He had failed his Lord. He had failed Jesus. He did the very thing that he didn't want to do. He wanted to be brave and strong. Remember who Peter was? He got up and ran around. You remember? Very excitable uh, disciple, so on and so forth. He was distraught. Then something amazing happened. Three days later, as you know, 
Jesus rose from the dead. Resurrection. Peter saw him. He was delighted. Absolutely delighted. Then something incredibly important happened. So important that John, who wrote the gospel, the fellow disciple, the disciple that Jesus loved, he loved everyone, actually added an extra paragraph onto the end of his gospel, all about Peter. Very important. And what he put was this, that on one occasion, Peter, he was so despondent, said to his fellow disciples, one or two of them, that's it, I'm going fishing which is what I used to do before I became a fisher of men. I'm going to go fishing. Because although I know Christ has risen, or I, or I know that everything was that what Jesus said was true, and everything else, I can't be trusted, I'm nobody. And so we went fishing. He'd given up. He'd given up. Not only that, he was actually taking one or two of the disciples with him. Because remember, Peter was regarded as the, the, the lead disciple. So what did Jesus do? Remember the story? So Peter was in the boat with one or two of the other disciples, fishing away. Jesus appeared on the shore. Of course, he's in his resurrected body. This is the third time Peter saw him. And set a fire and said, catch those fish, come here. Peter was overjoyed, absolutely overjoyed. He jumped out of the boat, do you remember? And he put his thing on and he jumped out of the boat and swam. And the boat came after him and landed up. Met Jesus. So, Peter. Did Peter have faith? Did Peter know that Christ was the resurrected Christ? Yes. Did he know that everything that happened before was true? What Jesus was talking about, that God was there in the sense that he was God, uh, the resurrected God? Yes. He knew it all. He was standing in front of the living God, what's called the truth, the presence. He knew it all. He had absolute, rock-solid faith, Peter did. And did Peter love Jesus? Absolutely adored Jesus. He thought he was wonderful. But hope? Personal hope that he had any role to do in that kingdom? Was he of any use to Jesus at all? So what did Jesus do? Well, he said to Peter, Do you love me? And you know he did it three times. Do you love me? me. And what did Peter say? Of course you know I love you. You know I love you. And then what did Peter say? Uh, Jesus say? The most important bit. Three times. Feed my lambs. Feed my 
Jesus had just put the hope back into Peter. He'd given him his role back. It was never taken away from Peter. Peter just assumed he was not good enough to serve Jesus. His hope in what he had to offer was gone, but it wasn't. Jesus said, feed my lambs. You've always had that job. I took you and said you are a fisher of men. And Peter's hope was restored. We have no excuse to lose our hope. Why? Because Peter then didn't have the Holy Spirit inside him. Remember? Peter had lost his hope, but Jesus had told him, Be assured, your hope is in me. And this is where it gets even more wonderful is the fact that if you've ever noticed when we have a problem in life where I want to go and preach or something and something almighty kicks off at home or something or something goes terribly wrong with a family member. You know what it's like, doesn't it? When you go and do something for the Lord, have you ever experienced that where, oh my gosh, something terrible goes wrong? You know what I mean? I had hoped... I had hoped that that would be all right, Lord. I'd hoped it was all right. It's the same as Martha speaking to Jesus. Do you remember when Lazarus died? Jesus came four days too late, and she said, in her hope, because she knew we had hoped. I had hoped he would be all right, that you would have come. Had hoped. But even now... So her hope was strong. Martha's hope was strong. When a bad thing happens, Jesus, God, takes it, resolves it, and then he does something else. Because every bad thing that happens to us is an opportunity for him. Out of Perseverance comes character, and from character comes hope. So you take that situation and elevate that believer to a new position. So anything that goes wrong for us, God will take, resolve, and elevate you or move you on. So what did Jesus do with Peter? when he had forgiven him. Do you remember? So Peter had said, I love you. Jesus said, Liffy, my lambs. And then he said, now you clothed yourself, but from now on, someone else, else will clothe you and take you to a place you do not want to go. And as it says in the Bible which meant he was going to be executed for Christ in the future. In other words, Christ, Jesus was saying to Peter, you will have your opportunity to be brave for me from now on and you will die for me. You will be crucified. 
So Peter was elevated. He was now in a position to understand hope, to understand he had a purpose, and that that purpose will lead him to his own martyrdom. Changed the position, elevated Peter. And that's amazing. And that's what happens to us. That's how we grow in hope. For everything that goes wrong, it gets changed, and we look at it in a different way through Christ's eyes, and we move on, we move on, we move on, in hope. And that is why Paul is saying that faith and love spring from hope. And hope is poured out for each one of us from heaven down to us. Hope's eternal. Hope eternal. It's alive today. It is not just about being in heaven. God is not interested in you being in heaven. He wants you to be in heaven, but now... He wants us all in hope, love and joy, the most excellent way to be, as Paul puts it, now. Because we are the salt and the light. Our purpose and job is to go out, just as the Colossians, to share the good news. And we have all that hope stored up for us in heaven. And remember, we do have a job. So Paul wrote to the Ephesians, for we, and this is all of us here, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'll read that again. For we, whoops, are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we all have failings, just like Peter, just like all the disciples. But we have this God's steadfast assurance that that hope for the future is stored up. Don't ever say, I'm not good enough. Don't ever say, I've not got any abilities. Don't ever say any of that, because God's dealt with that. You're a new creation. He's dealt with it. As a new creation, you have faith, hope, and love. And it's the hope you hold on to the hope that you receive from heaven. What a wonderful um, letter that Paul wrote. Praise you and thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.